He's recorded shiploads of albums. Welcome back. It's Made in A to Z or Martin Birch A to Z? A pod in the pod. A pod within a pod. A pea in a pod. Like the camel tune, a song within a song. song within I a song. I once paraphrased in a death metal song called A Storm Within a Storm. Wow. It's a pretty okay title. It's very bombastic though. Very bombastic. Very bombastic. I like bombasm. You know, you like Manowar, so. I like Manowar. We are brothers in bombasm. <laughs> bombasm. Sure. Brothers in bombasm. It's Matthias Enelson. That's me. The birchness of it all. The birchness of it all. Because now we're going back to the very beginning to talk about Deep Purple. And he was uh, made his debut as an debut. Debut. <laughs> Concert for group and orchestra, was that debut? Yeah. yeah. And he was the engineer along with an, a man called Dave Siddle. And Dave Siddle was the main engineer uh, in the studio, Delaine Lee. Ah, main engineer, the boss. The boss. Maybe Martin's boss. I guess. And uh, the concert was held in the Royal Albert Hall in, on the 24th of September about the combination how it's kind of on and off orchestra band orchestra and maybe that's not the coolest but then i recall mentioning symphony and metallica mm-hmm. how to me that's the opposite they kind of just have the band and the orchestra is just auxiliary sounds it's, it's, it's like worse a, to me it's even worse to it's me it's even worse yes because it's just like a, a keyboard playing along yeah metallica's music is quite dense yeah quite full spectrum of audio really yeah yeah yeah. two distorted guitars come on and they cover a lot of yeah. space yeah, and yeah, then a do. little bit for the bass not much no sadly sadly and then a lot for the drums as well so we're adding an orchestra like they did michael Kamen did a great job in arranging it but mm-hmm. it makes sense only as a Korg treat on keyboard on top of it. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. So I almost have to go with group and orchestra approach then. And I think I might have an example where it worked better. Uh, maybe something like we, we'll get on to Saraband later. Yeah, we will. That's when it kind of worked maybe the best. Yeah, I would say. Because it's a rough combination to make. Yeah. And I think group and orchestra, the whole band wasn't in it. Like Richie famously like threw away the scores 
as an attempt for it not to happen. <laughs> something like that anyway. Yeah. So I threw away the original scores for it never to happen again at least or something like that. Like he wasn't into the idea, that's the main point. He wanted to do he wanted to present Deep Purple in rock mm. as a concept. Yeah. Uh, which of course happened, great album. Mm. Uh ways better than group and orchestra, but was Martin Birch involved in that? He was. He recorded two songs uh which were of course then recorded and delayed uh studio. Uh, and that was Flight of the Rat mm-hmm. and Hard Loving Man. And Hard Loving Man even has a dedication to Martin as uh, for Martin the Catalyst. That sounds like a um, compliment. Yeah. The Catalyst, like he gets the band going. Yeah, exactly. And I think they hit it off from the bat. From the bat. Because uh, Martin's philosophy was to, to just capture the band live. Yeah. And that was exactly what the band wanted. The mirror. Exactly, the mirror. And recording these two songs literally just led to him working with the band up until they disbanded in 1976. song Black Sabbath by the band Black Sabbath from the same year yeah. both sides of what's heavy because yeah. one is the doomy uh, dramatic side yeah. in rock the distorted uh, angry almost side of it you know aggression and, and power and uh, energy and I know there's been a, a bit of a debate among hard rock archaeologists of who came first uh, but I think the truth is somewhere in between because they started to record in rock before Black Sabbath recorded Black Sabbath, but Black Sabbath recorded quickly and put out the album before, and probably they didn't really know about each other. They either. didn't know about each other's records. No, in making, that's for sure. For sure. Yeah. And in '71, he recorded uh, Fireball, but he wasn't the sole engineer on that album. Okay. There were two other guys also running the operations as an engineer. That's a cool sound record, or what do you say? Yeah, I, I like I, it. I like it a lot. I think it's a bit underestimated, actually, Fireball. Because it just stands in the shadows of In Rock and Machine Head. Because it's not as good as In Rock, not to me. No, it's not. And probably not as good as Machine Head either. No, but it's then not. I have to filter through glasses of overplayed songs, right? Yeah. But I would say, yeah, it's lesser than the album's bookending it. But it's still great.
crazy good. There are really heavy stuff on that. I mean, Demon's Eye is... Demon's Eye, the Cool Blues one. Yeah. Fools. Fools, great song. And one of my favorite uh, lyrics of Ian Gillen, No One Came. No One Came, yeah. It's not that heavy, but I mean, it's so funny. It's kind of hypnotic. Maybe it's because I'm only starting. I think it won't take too long. Maybe it's because I can see you laughing. I think you've got it wrong. And again, the title, like everyone that's been involved in band business have had that experience. Ah, no one came. <laughs> no one came from miles around. Oh, I don't know about you, but I've had that experience anyway. I'm a, oh, I will openly admit, no one came. Loads of times. You know, one time we did a gig with Book of Hours, me and Henrik, three people in the audience. Mm. But one of these were like a proper fan. All right. A proper he fan of the band. He became a fan then, or he was already? He was already okay. a fan. And he came up... <laughs> from afar, maybe. He was driving from no, afar. I, not that far away, but he, okay. he, he, he requested songs during the, during the set. Could you do that song? And did you? Did, uh, you, did we, you follow I think, suit? I think we did uh, a few songs that he wanted us to play, actually. I requested Purgatory all night when I saw you guys. But you did do Innocent Exile and Killers. Yeah. That's kind of like fulfilling, fulfilling it. I didn't think you were going to play Purgatory. But it would have been cool if you did. We haven't, it's a great song. It's, I, I think it's amazing. Yeah, and I think yeah. it would fit um, Pelle as well. Oh, absolutely. But now is a good time to talk about uh, Wishbone Ash. Wishbone Ash. And why is that, you might ask. Here's the story. Martin Birch was the engineer for Wishbone Ash. The first album put out in 1970. The second one, Pilgrimage, that was put out in 1971. And the third one, Argus put out 72. in 1972. And the connection here between Deep Purple and uh, Wishbone Nash is that um, Derek Lawrence was the producer of the first three Deep Purple albums. Okay. And he was the producer... So like uh, self-titled uh, Shades of Deep Purple and Book of Talisman, yeah. not in that order. But Shades first. Those, those yeah. albums, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Derek Lawrence was the producer, like I said, for for these uh, Wishbone Nash albums. And so, was it Delaine Lee? Recorded at Delaine Lee, yeah. There we go. Delaine Lee, that's Derlain right. Lee. Yeah, I'm working on it. Work in progress. As I've been, <laughs> been Work told. in progress. So when did you first hear... Her, 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 her. When did you first... <laughs> when did you first... Here of Wishbone Nash. Opeth was at their peak, I would claim, when I was uh, 15, 16. They were the, at their best. And a big band for me, and, and I got to know people on the internet just because of mutual love for this band. Much like what happens with Iron Maiden over and over again. 
Um, there was a gang from Jakobsberg Northwest of Stockholm. And uh, we started sharing a lot of prog stuff. And they told me to listen to Argus. And I had in, in the back of my mind an, some interview or feature with Steve mm. of him mentioning it. Yeah. So it's like, this one I'm going to buy. Mm. I'm not going to check out check it out first or anything. I'm not going to download it first. I just ordered this. Mm. I ordered Argus and I've been playing it pretty much ever since. Mm. From what we've done so far, it's definitely the one I would know the mm. best, like the inside of my hand, kind of. Yeah. But again, I didn't know it was Birch mm. until now, until you telling me. So, yeah, what can I say? This songs like Leaf and Stream, mm. King Will Come. Mm. Warrior. Uh, yeah, Blowing Free. Yeah. Uh, running Free. Mm, maybe. It's a shuffle rocker yeah. with a bass line. Uh, Warrior, yeah. Uh, that was the final track. Anyway, they're all really good. Yeah, they're... It's a great album. It's a 10 out of 10 album. And I would say that I really enjoyed the first one too, Wishbone Ash. Uh, opening track is really good not super familiar with that uh, actually not familiar so let's listen to that okay sure <laughs> Like this, this riff. Bit of an odd timing too to it. Yeah, definitely more of a human timing. Yeah. Toms, uh, you send me the studio sheet from Killers, and uh, four channels for the drums. Four channels for the I drums. I thought maybe it could be like a sub mix or something, but when I looked at it, okay, kick and snare, close mic'd, mm. makes sense. That would be really hard to get that sound. Mm. But I, I'm thinking maybe the toms could be all overhead, mm. so it could be actually four microphones as yeah. well. And that was clearly the case here. I mean, this is ten years, eleven years earlier. Yeah. And he gets good pop in those um, toms uh, just from overhead. It's about placing them very correctly, really, mm. in the room, in context of the room and in context of the drum kit setup. I would say his drum sound is a bit controlled, uh, as opposed to Led Zeppelin, uh, Jimmy Page, which has a much bigger drum sound. Uh, Martin Birch is, is more, more traditional in that sense, that it sounds more controlled. It's tuned, the good mics, but they have like... They, the drums themselves sound good. There's yeah. always a good balance. When you just record overhead to get the good toms, you can't have cymbals that sound too much or too, or, or too little. Or play too hard. Or play too hard. So you have to have a good drummer who, who treats the instrument with delicacy. Yeah. yeah. And that's an important point that uh, he did good work, Martin, but he also worked with good musicians. Yeah. It's, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. You can't really, like, especially these years, you can't really just, like, in, in a wizard manner, conjure up a good sound. 
mm. if it's not sounding good no. from those sticks and strings and picks and whatnot. And that goes back to like my first experiences recording. Mm. If it doesn't sound good, it won't sound good. Yeah, because it was different <laughs> for me. Yeah. Starting in the early 2000s, yeah. Yeah. I was like, you can polish some turds yeah. quite well. Yeah, that's what I noticed. But I've been actually later, I guess, last 10 years, I would say, I've been more and more just going back to the original standard, which is like have it sound good mm. right right off the bat yeah. and if it doesn't rework it don't record it and then fake it yeah but in the beginning i did that a lot you know yeah. it was the age of like new metal and stuff so everything was very artificially redone yeah. in a mix whereas it, all these mixes we've been listening to it that's pretty much what it sounded like yeah. and then just you know some careful leveling panning and eqing mm. not much like sound replacements or anything mm. I mean, with my other band, uh, Under Radio, Under Radio, Under Radio, we we record everything with a mic. One mic. No, no. Okay. So don't don't, don't take this too literally now. <laughs> what I'm saying is, if we want something to sound distorted, yeah. if we have like an electric piano, we record through the guitar amp with a mic in front of it. It's more fun that way. I would yeah. say it's more fun. I, I enjoy being very like tactile, analog. Hands on. Uh, I'm an extremely analog person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, he worked uh, with Wishbone Ash and. Uh, the link is Derek Lawrence. So he was producer, Martin engineered yeah. in both cases. Yeah. Right. Uh, but when uh, Martin started to work for uh, Deep Purple, Derek Lawrence was out of the picture and the band was producing themselves. Yeah. Uh, so he did the first three we mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Ex exactly. Yeah. Super and, clear. And that's clear. why I thought it was a good place to name Wishbone Ash. Yeah. Which uh, a band that's very dear to me. On the other hand, after Argus, uh, or, uh, Wishbone 4, and There's a Rub is quite good, but I think they just lost it completely. Uh, but it would make sense if they yeah. did, because they are not a household name. I mean, compared to Led Zeppelin, or compared to, no. yes, compared to even Gentle Giant yeah. is a bigger name. But uh, I feel like even though I've heard it to bits, I want to listen to a bit of Leaf and Stream. Mm. Because uh, because of the Sonics. Yeah. We got some good Sonics coming in here, boys and girls. Lovely stuff. I don't think it gets much better. No. Find myself beside a stream of empty thought Like a leaf that's fallen to the ground Carried by the flow of water to my dreams only by your sound Alone I've walked this path for many years Everything is right up front, but still there is room. A bit modern in that sense. Very layered. Sound. Very upright acoustic bass sounding. And then just a bit with drums. Also because blowing free is clearly. I mean, if Steve listened to 
the engine uh, kickstart clean or not. Mm. We'll never know, but I can say for sure that you listen to this. You know, early stuff like Burning Ambition, Running Free, and this even being entitled Blowing Free. Mm. And listen to the bass when it clacks on in. It's his sound. But I think this this guy plays with a pick, right? Yeah, most guys that have a Steve sound do. Yeah. Chris Wire too, right? I like it a lot. Slightly distorted, gnarly, overdriven, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Apparently the story is that they had one guitar player uh, and they auditioned and couldn't choose. So they said, okay, we have two guitar players from now on. And do some harmonies. And do some harmonies. And they were, like I said in the previous episode, inspired by... Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page in the Yardbirds to have two guitar players. Right. Because right, right. this wasn't a, like a thing back in 69, 70. Oh, hardly. No. no. The entire 70s and even big bits of the 80s was more so about the one guitarist. Mm. I mean, if you look at anything involving Tony Iommi, mm. no one would be there mm. on the side or all his band yeah. to this day, mm. one guitar. Would you say that uh, Richie and uh, John Lord? has a sort of twin guitar thing going. Yeah, I would say so. I don't know what inspired that. Not really. Me thought about that, if they listened to something and wanted to do that, or if it was just classical, because they do a bit of the fugue yeah. and stuff, but they had a great thing going. And I think Richie Blackmore... <laughs> He's, he's not the one to send respect to many people, but he did the Carry On John song. I think that's the only eulogy type tune he ever did. Yeah. He didn't do one for Dio. He should have, I think. Yeah. He totally should have. But at least he did Carry On John, and it's a great song. Yeah. So I think they had uh, a you know, Dave, Adrian type thing going. Mm. Because Dave and Adrian are also standout in, in, in duo, mm. duo-isms. Yeah. They're really like, you can tell that they're friends and... They complement each other. If you listen to solos from the 80s records, mm. they're quite often a bit of call and response within the actual solos. Yeah. And Martin also mentioned several times that one of the main reasons he loved to work with Iron Maiden was that there were no stars in the band. They were mm. all team players. And he said that even though... Bruce... Uh, even though he knew that it was sort of Steve's band, he mentioned that in an interview I read, that of course we know it's Steve's band, but... He's still a team player. He just says he is. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The football comes to mind. Yeah. Like there's Absolutely. no I in team, <laughs> but there is one in the yeah. A of a hole or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's also now we should mention that Derek Lawrence and Richard Blackmore uh, recorded this Green Bullfrog uh, album. Yes. Uh, under pseudonyms. Do you say that in English? Pseudonym, yeah. You say that. Pseudonym. Pseudonyms. And they did that because of contractual obligations. And that was in 72? And it's again pretty much blues rock. Yeah. Was that Birch produced? Uh, uh, Recorded by him. Engineered, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Derek Lawrence was the producer. But I think we should uh, move on to Machine Head. Yeah. And what's to say about that album that isn't common knowledge? (laughs) Yeah. We all know the story. (laughs) <laughs> we all know how they ended up. Going. How did they end up in the Grand Hotel? They went down to Montreux. They went down to Montreux. Yes. 
to make a record with the mobile, with the right? Mobile. Yeah, I think it was a Rolling Stone mobile. To make a record with the mobile. Uh, I recall that from somewhere. Yeah, I think I, I recall that. And, and they uh, didn't have much time. No, they didn't have much time. I think even Swiss time was running out. Swiss time was running out. Yeah. And there uh, was, but, uh, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Frank Zappa played yeah. with the mothers. And there was the some stupid in town. Some stupid with a flare gun that burns <laughs> the place to the ground. Gun. And then again, yeah. I think of, of Six Feet Under, <laughs> of uh, Chris Barnes. Some stupid with a flare gun. <laughs> It's so bad. But let's forget that. Let's forget that because Martin was not there, clearly. No. It sounds terrible. So but, they but ended yeah, up at the, the Grand story. Hotel. It was empty, cold, and bare. But with empty the Rolling Stone thing. The Rolling Stone mobile was still yeah. in operation yeah. for that. And for a while longer. Yeah. I mean, Machine Head is, I would say, the most classic Deep Purple album. Oh, yeah, for sure. And it's one of the most classic hard rock albums uh, ever recorded. Yeah, I talked with Greg about the gas station Best of Hard Rock CD. Yeah. Quite often you would find Deep Purple with, uh, specifically with mm. Smoke on the Water. Mm. They all went down to Monterey yeah. uh, in Switzerland mm. to record with the mobile. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, yeah, clearly like there was this thing happening, right? Uh, they were supposed to record in the same hall as as Frank Zappa then. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, which was the ca- not the casino. Uh, I think it was the casino. So that was uh, yeah, it was that was a casino, but they ended up in the hotel. Yeah, and the recording is very cool in the way that it's uh, super live style produced. Mm. Again, the mobile was outside. Yeah, they didn't see more than perhaps a few cables and microphones, and then they would jam. Mm. Uh, and and Martin would be I don't know fifty odd meters away. It was sitting outside yeah, in, the, in the mobile. In the mobile, and uh, with apparently some radiators I, I, on. I read something <laughs> strange that they couldn't use the main entrance. They had to like climb out a window to get to the mobile or something strange. There was also this anecdote that could have been like an after construction about how the cops were knocking and they were doing the take that is the take of Smoke on Water, and Richie was like, let's let's not mind them. Let's finish finish recording this, they finish what is apparently, allegedly, mm-hmm. the final version of Smoke and Water, and then the cops could come in and they could discuss further arrangements. <laughs> what do you mean? Maybe it's too good to be true. I don't know. Uh, I would like the idea of, of one of the biggest songs in Hard Rock ever, yeah. having uh, a faint background of cops knocking on the door. <laughs> you can hear the leak on the bass channel somewhere. That yeah, no, no, grand arm, grand arm. But I mean, uh, I think it's it's almost hard to be objective of an album such as uh, Machine. It's like your number of the beast. I mean, how good is it? It's uh, very good. Yes, we know that. But good. how, how good the, is it? The answer is super good. <laughs> and by this time, Martin Bush was the engineer. He was the engineer for Deep Purple. But not the producer because the band was, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I would say maybe, okay, you were maybe thought of at this time. Kind of. Uh, Could be. No. Uh, a year later. A year later, maybe. Uh, there my was parents had met. The friends had met, okay, yeah. so the, the, the process was initiated. <laughs> but I would still say you're young enough uh, to fall into my category where this album has been not an exciting find. It's just, you know, the famous Deep Purple record. It's yeah. not like, whoa, machine, let's check mm. this out. But it is a great record. Mm. And it is the foundation of Made, Made in Japan, which is, of course, mm. uh, another Birch feature, maybe one of his more famous recordings. Yeah. Was that in Budokan? Or not in Budokan, but a similar concert space, maybe. I, th- I think it's recorded in in uh, quite a few towns, actually. Okay, yeah. like on the tour. On the tour. And not very produced. It sounds like a, one of those Radio P3 live recordings, but yeah. 
like a very good one. A really good one. Good Apparently, rules, when, good I, when I did the research for this, I, I read an article about uh, Made in Japan. And apparently, when they came to Japan, this was by uh, the record label wanted a, a live album for the Japanese market. So going into this project, the band wasn't really that keen, even to begin with. They just thought, oh, live album? Oh, okay. But they brought Martin Birch along. So I think they must have had some sort of seriousness. Does he have a nickname it. on that one? I don't know. Maybe don't, not. Maybe it's know. a serious Martin Birch. <laughs> Pure. Pure. Or the Wasp. But apparently he didn't think much of the equipment. So when, right. when they came there, he, he thought that, mm, okay. Crude. Crude equipment. Uh, and I think uh, the record label for, for Japan was Warner Brothers. Okay, mm. Warner Brothers. So they were behind this. And when they mixed it, Birch said in an interview that uh, Richie and Ian, they didn't even bother to go to the studio to listen to the takes. It was uh, uh, Ian Pace and Roger Glover who was the most interested. And, and the head, it, head screwed on guys. Yeah, and uh, listening to the mixes. Lord was the one not mentioned there. So. No, I, he, he wasn't mentioned in the article, so I don't really know. But I know right. that uh, these two were not there and the other two were... And John Lord it's perhaps the same were case today. Actually, <laughs> those two are there yeah. on stage with the band. Yeah, today. exactly, exactly. And Richie is, is not. Is not. And Ian is actually, but he was away for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so made in Japan, and I must say honestly, uh, have never been like a staple in my collection. I don't have this sort of connection to it that makes me go, "Oh, it's the best live album." It's a Great fucking live album. Star on that one. Very, very good. I would say that much. I'll say the same. It's good, but it's not magical to me. No. No. So moving on, we have uh, Who Do We Think We Are from 1973. He was still just the engineer. And uh, I found out that it's recorded in Rome and Frankfurt with the Rolling Stone Mobile. Mm. Same studio as Rising and Seventh Son. Uh, Rising was recorded Munich. in Munich. Yes, Munich. So this is different. And, um, same country. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, that was a save, uh, an attempt at a save. But no, not in, this, in that hotel studio, no. No. Different one. Uh, in Frankfurt. And what do we think about who do we think we are? Rat Bat Blue is quite good. Yeah. Flight of the Rat Bat Blue. Flight of the Rat Bat <laughs> <laughs> No, w- Woman from Tokyo is... Uh, That's a weak song, I think. It's, it's lightweight. Yeah, lightweight is a good way to yeah. describe it. No, but I mean, it's a debated record. Some love it, some don't. I know people that where it's the favorite record of the band, but oh, definitely not for me. Definitely not for me. Me neither. Uh, it's okay, but I mean, all the albums we've mentioned previously, I like more. Yeah. But I don't, I'm not so sure about those first three I'm not super familiar with. Mm. Maybe it could compete with those. Mm. I don't know. But it's an in-between record. It's a band yeah. sort of falling apart a little bit. Uh, well, apparently since Ian Gillan left the band. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and, uh, and bought the studio maybe around then? or uh, No, that was before. That was now it's 73 and he bought that in 71. Ah, Pay attention, no, my young I'm doing man. it as good as I can. It's a lot of information here. <laughs> I think my stupid questions will <laughs> aid the listener <laughs> in following this. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Never be afraid of a, a stupid question. Roger Glover was kicked out of the band <laughs> by Richard Blackmore. <laughs> yeah? yeah? he was. <laughs> a few years later, he brought him back to work with him in, in Rainbow. And writing lyrics, producing, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, Richard Blackmore. What yeah. a guy. What a guy. You never know what's coming next. In previous discussions, I've Keep told, it fresh. I've said this. Keep it fresh. I've said it in previous discussions we've had. Like, I got it from Nate in the Purple Podcast again. And it was that, in fact, he was actually paying the artists very well, at least. Mm. So maybe that's part of him being able to defend his mm. kind of throwaway methods. Mm. But at least while they were in the fold, they were compensated better than most. Mm. So I think that makes a little bit of sense. Because otherwise, who would put up with that asshole? Mm. <laughs> I mean, it's a great guitarist, but there's, there are limits yeah, to it, yeah. what you would put up with and return to. Yeah. Uh, but Martin Birch, I think they probably had a great relationship. I guess so. It seems so. Like there's no stories of any falling out, or and uh, apparently, like I said before on this show, apparently Richie showed him Iron Maiden. Yeah, he did on either his birthday. Can't recall which birthday. Somewhere in Rhode Island or something. Yeah, on yeah. Long Island. I think Long it was Island. Long Island. And he played them. He played him the first record. Yeah. Uh, and like, this is the shit which stands out so much. How would Richie, in any way, shape, or form, recommend another band, yeah. a younger band? And he says, "You should work with these guys." Yeah. I mean, uh, warms my heart. Yeah, it does. I like that story. Yeah. I like that story. Uh, but the next one uh, from 1974, the year of my birth. Uh, Burn is a is a favorite of mine. I really like uh, Burn. Probably my favorite record by the Purple, mm. and it's not even well. They switch lineup mm. <laughs> again. They kicked out Glover. Mm. They kicked out Gillen, mm. but and they brought in a very very young, non-experienced David Coverdale. Yeah, which will to your demise. <laughs> no, <laughs> demise. We're getting there. To your to your chagrin, <laughs> he will appear with White Snake later. Yeah, but at this point, you don't hold anything against Mr. Coverdale. He's doing a great <laughs> job on Burn. Yeah, absolutely. And the combination and Glenn with Hughes, Hughes too. is a great combination. Yeah, you know we have the time. That's <laughs> exactly. it, you know. Yeah. It's uh, probably, I think, their best song as yeah. well, Burn. Kraken. This was also recorded in Montreal with a mobile. Yeah. But they don't sing about it on this one. No. Why? No, Why is they that? They were in a castle. I think they were not in the casino. That burned down, actually. I've heard three albums ago. Well, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> but the castle did not, even though they made burn. Yeah. Then. Could it be connected? Who knows? Who knows? But I, I heard it. The sky is red, I don't understand. Last in the night, I still see the land. People are saying the woman is dead. She makes the burn with the wind. And the mobile. So it was like a bit of a walk. Yeah, like you could listen a couple of tunes on the walk over. Which makes the band even more remote from the studio environment. They were really just playing in this room. And it's a cracking record again, you know, songs like, uh, well, of course, Burn, I think, is the best song they've done, I mm. think. It's really complete, the purple experience. And I like Sail Away quite a bit. Mm. Super groovy. Yeah. It's just a cool record. But I must say, uh, Mistreated is, is on here. Yeah, but first I, time. I don't like 
this version. I very, very, very much prefer the Dio version. Rainbow Dio, yeah. yeah. They did it live all the time. Yeah. I, I think I like the cover day version on California Jam. I think for yeah. me that's the optimal, optimal version. But I have nothing bad to say about Dio's interpretation either. It's no. really cool. But I think for me the problem is basically Coverdale's vocals on uh, Mistreated. It sounds like a sulking child or something. Go and listen to uh, 76 uh, uh, California Jam and see if you think the same. Yeah. If you do, then well, we're just not in agreement because I think that version is the best vocal on that song. I think I've heard it actually. Yeah. I, I think that's the best, better than the Dio's versions. Mm -hmm. But I can see the original maybe not being fully, fully developed into the power. Really, that song is a very live song too. Yeah. Like it's not a studio track, even though they were in a castle, far away from a half a mile away from Birch. Yeah. And, what, what uh, else can you say about Burn? It's just really good. Yeah. It's like their Sabbath Bloody Sabbath to me. Yeah. It's that same, like the band goes more advanced, more layered, mm -hmm. but retains the power from the early days. It's a great record. And this was actually one of the first Deep Purple albums I've ever heard because I, I remember for sure that my uncle had this. So when I began to listen to, to hard rock and heavy metal in 83, 84, my uncle said, oh, I got some old Deep Purple albums, and he had this one. Uh, so this was actually the first Deep Purple album I heard in, possibly even as early as 1983 when I was nine. Nice way in, mm -hmm. but I mean, I must have been like not as powerful as your maiden records you had. No, <laughs> so, not by far. Because that's what happened to me in the, my early days of listening. I enjoy it now more than I did as a kid. Yeah, it mirrors my experience. Mm -hmm. Maybe same age, really, when I found some Deep Purple, I was 12, mm -hmm. 13, and I was like, what's with, I, I need more metal here. Yeah. You know, I wanted more of the power slave. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, same experience. Basically, like as I got older, I found a fair few gems. Mm -hmm. And Burn is definitely, I think, is a crown jewel of, of, mm -hmm. of the band. Next album is Stormbring from the same year in 74. And now... Production credit. Now he has co-production credit, engineer mixing. And this was also recorded in Musicland in Munich. Mm. Like I said, where our maiden will mm. later record... Uh, Seventh Sun. Sun and Rising yeah. Rainbow. Yeah. And Stormbringer, I mean, I like Burn, but Stormbringer... It's not, not as good. Not that good. Storm, the song Stormbringer. The song Stormbringer is among the top, and I'll play it a bit just for feeling because it's such an attack of this mog synths and everything. I don't hate David Coverdale. I don't hate him as a vocalist. I don't think you do. Oh yeah, the ride. Crunchy ride. But you know, every time I hear this song, I think this should have been a rainbow tune. Maybe it's, it should it's have. so rainbow. I think maybe Richie would agree with you. Yeah. Maybe he was a bit pissed that this song ended up here. Yeah. Because maybe again, so. famously, some fan gave him a Stormbringer to sign in, or maybe a fan, or maybe someone involved in the production showed his copy of Stormbringer in a taxi and he decided to throw it out the window. <laughs> you know? So he's not happy about, that, about this record. 
it seems. Richard Blackmore, the man we love. The man we somehow love. Yeah. Somehow, some way. But I think, yeah, the song is great. Uh, I would mention uh, otherwise maybe uh, Lady Double Dealer is, yeah. that, is there here. And that was the song that Paul Diano auditioned for Iron Maiden. Yeah. yeah. With. And they played it uh, apparently a few times in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good record, not as good as Burn. So it suffers from that, basically. <laughs> well, you know, it's the record after. Yeah. Same lineup, not as good. Not as good. I don't know anyone that would put this above Burn, but it's a good listen. I play it quite often. It's one of my more played. And then we have Come Taste the Band in 75. Again, co-producing engineering. Getting tighter. What can you say? Uh, what would you say about that record? The sigh maybe says it all. It... I put it like this. I've heard it. I've listened to it quite a few times. But it's not an album I want to go back to. It's a, a bit of a weird record. It is. And at the same time, I mean, listening to this, is this what Deep Purple wanted to be? I understand that, Very that funky. Ri- Richard Blackmore left. Yeah, he was not into the funk idea. No. Which you can also hear. It's not very much funk on the first couple of Rainbow. Funk, I don't want to make it. No. And uh, he also did the Made in Europe uh, live album. That one is cool. And that was put out after the band... Disbanded. Disbanded, yeah. Dissolved. 76. Dissolved. I think that's better than Made made in Japan for me. I I think think it's better. It's cool. Really cool sounding record. Yeah, it is. It is. So what happened after this then? Some guy named David Coverdale started a band called Whitesnake or rather he made a solo record a David Coverdale record called White Space Snake yeah White Space Snake yes exactly yes and that's a pretty good one that I like wasn't there someone something called North Wind or that, something that's the too? second one yeah, yeah still David one. Coverdale yeah. and there's been releases of a combination release of those two yeah in one CD but not recorded by Martin Birch none of them no uh, his first was Snakebite in Snake Bite. 1978. Uh, and Trouble came out also in 78. So, okay. Let's just list them, the ones he did. Yeah, he did Snakebite, 78, 78, Trouble, 1979, Love Hunter, 1980, Ready and Willing. 1980 was also the double live album, Live in the Heart of the City. Uh, 81, Come and Get It. 1982, Saints and Sinners, and in 1984, he did Slide It In. And apparently, that last album, he, he wasn't supposed to have done. Recorded in 83, I should say. Was that the one they did twice? Yeah. Once they, with him, and then an American version? I think the story goes that they first, the the American label wanted more Americanisms. John Sykes came on too, but he wasn't on the original. Yeah, Replacing... Exactly. Um, Mick Moody. Mick Moody, that's yeah. right. So they recorded uh, first a version of Slide It In with Eddie Kramer in uh, United States. But I think 
I think I read somewhere that Coverdale said he didn't feel the band. He didn't get them. So David Coverdale uh, called his old friend Martin Birch. As many have done through the years. Yeah. And said, hey, we're in a bit of a pickle. Can you record our album for us? But what happened was that there are two versions, as you can find online too, uh, that there is a UK version and a US version. The UK version has the original Martin Birch mix. To my ears, better. I like it more too. Yeah. So what do you really think about Whitesnake? Well, when we did our preparations for this and when we shared some listening, you kind of hated it. And you said before in this episode that yeah. you don't hate David Coverdale. I, don't. I mean, how could you? He's a perfect gentleman, a great rock singer, yeah, a great blues singer, uh, just a, an overall appealing dude, I would say. Mm. But what do I think about White Snake? I mean, it depends. If I, when we listened to it together, I couldn't find a way in. Like your your distaste, I'm sorry, it, uh, just kind of spread to me, and it's like <laughs> this is just boogie woogie uh, fuck rock, basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it really kind of is. But if I, if I listen to Jan Motola from the Purple Podcast talk about it, and he lifts it, I can get in there and enjoy it. Mm. There's some really good rocking stuff, mm. and like Saints and Sinners, I think is pretty good. It's the '82 album, mm. Birch produced, right? Not just engineered. No, he he produced all of these albums. Uh, you have the original uh, Herago again, mm-hmm. five years prior to '87, mm. and I think that's pretty good sounding. Jan Lord is underutilized when he's in the band which Woo! is a bit annoying that's an understatement of the century i yeah. would say so that's a bit annoying that's a <laughs> the fact that they have him in there yeah and utilize him almost like a pad in the background yeah but so did the purple on the early 90s records yeah it's a similar pattern yeah but maybe it kind of started in white snake and then white snake was one band that went for the two guitar approach later yeah so yeah underutilized maybe Ian Pace was too the Absolutely. best rock drummer of the ages, yeah. a little bit underutilized there. The, I think the one of the problems with Whitesnake for me, because and full disclosure here, I prior to preparing for for these this part, yes, I had heard the hits, and I mean there are a few hits of the early Whitesnake that are good. I mean, Walking in the Shadow of the Blues and Ain't No Love, which is a cover, by the way. Mm-hmm. A Coverdale, by the way. No, sorry. Uh, and I mean, there are good songs, but to my much to my surprise, when you, at least for me, when you sort of deep dive into a production, uh-huh. you always end up finding songs that you, oh, this was a really good one too. Why, why, why wasn't this a hit song? Or I really dig this. For Whitesnake, nothing. Not one single song out of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Eight albums stood out for me after listening to them. But the hits, the hit songs stood out because mm-hmm. they're hits, but not one single song. So you're saying it's a ton of filler, basically. Exactly, exactly. I think that's my main problem with it. It's just, I don't know, it's too... Uh, and I mean, when you start to think about the lyrics, it sort of gets into your head too. They're a bit stupid often. Yeah. They're really stupid. Like a man comes to town, he meets a woman, they fuck. And yeah, then he much. says, but you know, he's a drifter, so ha- he has to he walk has to away. He has to carry on. He has to. He has to. Sadly, so, he has to carry on now. Sorry, baby. On his man but mission. I have to leave you. <laughs> like uh, Freebird. I like Freebird, though. And it's the same tired concept. You know, uh, 
this bird has to fly. <laughs> but I mean, for <laughs> song, grandarizing, song of the grandarizing, s- escaping every possible uh, responsibility. <laughs> just grandarizing it. I'm free as a bird, <laughs> like you're just an asshole. <laughs> but I like the song. Yeah, uh, the gambler. I'm gonna play a bit of the gambler hmm? uh, from. Is it from Slide It In? Yeah, Slide It In, gambler. I think Slide It In is the most hard rock, the most. I won't say metal, but the, the no, hardest... It really went metal, maybe a no. bit on 87. Yeah, later uh, on. Yeah. I mean, burst. these days, it's it's awful. <laughs> Even more so. <laughs> Here comes Gambler, anyway. Is this John Lord? Yeah, it should be. On this Miami Vice... Crockett's theme. Crockett's theme. Because Slide Team was recorded in 83, so that's okay. prior to the reformation of the Purple. Mm, the purple, the purple, the purple. Yeah. But this is uh, this is Cozy Powell on drums, right? It's not uh, Ian Pace. It sounds like Cozy, yeah. Is it Neil Marion bass? I think he stayed on. Probably, yeah. Yeah. This I like. Kind of a heavy race, you know, stranger in a strange land or something. But then it goes more standard. This is the sound you get a lot of the time. Well, yeah, I think it's maybe too standard rock for you and not in the way you would like your standard rock. No. And again, like in this company, I can't enjoy it fully either. And it's not like I don't have any, I have the 87 record, but I think it's way oversaturated. Yeah. I have a hard time listening to it. Yeah. I think there are good songs on it. Still of the Night is a good song. And uh, I like the 87 version of Here I Go Again as well, but it's oversaturated to the max. And there's no birch involved in that one. No, no, not at all. At all. He wouldn't do that. I never heard a birch production that was so oversaturated, like over, it's too many over notes, overtones, harmon- harmonic notes. It's just like too shiny. So I never play it, and it's the only one I own. So from a multi birch perspective, mm-hmm. it's interesting that Slide It In was the last recording he did outside of Iron Maiden. Recorded 83. So he wouldn't have recorded Power Slave yet. No. At this point. No. But maybe he would have recorded Peace of Mind. Maybe. Because I think that was in February or March. Uh, 83. Uh, yeah, it was uh, early 83. Yeah. So possibly he recorded Peace of Mind and then he got a call from David Coverdale to... Gambler, I like it, but it ain't no still life. And I'm saying that with some certain respect and reverence for Whitesnake, but I mean, slide it in compared to Peace of Mind, we can't even do the comparison. No. Because it's just, it's not, it's not fair. It's it, silly. It is fair, but it's, it's silly. It's silly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so much better. Yeah. I see that as sound choice to go made an exclusive at that time. Hello, lads, and hello to any and all listening to this particular episode. Uh, this is Greg DePasquale, a co-host of So Far, So Pod, So What, the transatlantic state-of-the-art speed metal podcast. And um, I was invited uh, by our lovely hosts for this Martin Birch celebration to discuss a record 
that uh, is probably one of uh, Mr. Birch's more underrated albums, and that is the 1982 album by Whitesnake titled Saints and Sinners. Now, just a little bit of background on this record. The incredibly tumultuous recording that basically involved starting of the recording, uh, the band dissolving entirely, and reconvening to finish it to watching it then be released. Um, it's a um, it's pr- probably the end of an era for uh, for White Snake. The last appearance um, with Ian Pace on drums and uh, Bernie Marston. Um, it's I guess in by virtue of that also kind of the end of the original. White Snake style and sound and presence, uh, which was definitely a little more bluesy bass, a little more hard rock, um, a little rougher uh, than obviously what they would become to be known as by the end of the decade. But um, it's a very, very vibrant uh, production. Uh, again, uh, just it, it's everything is just recorded perfectly. There's just such a presence on this record that just doesn't exist on Whitesnake albums. Um, well, I guess I'll say right now, I'm not I'm not the hugest Whitesnake fan. I have three records, and this being one of them, but I'm familiar with a majority of them. And obviously, I know all the same shit you probably all do as far as 80s Whitesnake is concerned, as far as late 80s Whitesnake is concerned, I guess I should say. And if you're expecting something more akin to the self-titled 87 album or slip of the tongue you might find yourself being surprised with this saints and sinners record um it's just it's rocking it's got that um deep purple vibe still a little bit obviously you still have john lord on, on keyboards and ian pace on drums on this album but it's still got a little bit of that vibe as well too it's just great rock and roll and it's captured expertly by martin birch you know, there is kind of a um, a general tone that he had in his records around this time, which is very um, just it's it's full. It's just a very full sound. It's really everything you would come to expect from Martin Birch in this era, um, but it's maybe a little bit more bombastic, maybe a little snappier. Um, it's very well done. I can't stress that enough. Everything is just put right where it needs to be, especially the, um, you know, the the, um, the keys or organs or or whatever John Lord is playing. That all just sits perfectly as well too. Um, also, it's the first of two appearances from uh, for a couple songs that would show up again uh, for White Snake later in the decade. Uh, Crying in the rain, which would show up on the 87 uh, version of White Snake, And obviously, probably most notably, this is the first um, appearance of Here I Go Again, the original version, um, which has become the Whitesnake song. Um, obviously, that's the uh, the biggest hit. That's, um, you know, when you think of Whitesnake, you don't really think of so much of this era of the band, or the first era of the band. You think of the kind of glitzy, glamorized, uh, version of this era of the band which is which it makes sense because that's what here i go again is at least the version that is the white snake version which is the later one so yeah um just a a great 
great album. Um, unfortunately, um, I I have another. I shouldn't say unfortunately, but I, I have the next White Snake album as well too. Uh, Slide it in, which was also produced by Martin Birch, but I don't have the version he produced. Um, there was two different versions, two different track lists, two different lineups um, on the next album, Slide It In, which just craziness. It's just another reminder of just how much money um, was in that industry back then, especially compared to now. But um, yeah, unfortunately, I only have the Keith Olsen version, which is the American version. I don't have the, uh, the Martin Birch version. But Saints and Sinners, can't stress enough, if... Um, you know, the, the glossier white snake ain't maybe your bag. I would say peel back a couple layers of the Coverdale onion. Um, that's not a euphemism. I guess it kind of is, though, too. Um, and check out early white snake. That's got a little more grit. Certainly got all the Coverdale grime that anyone could ask for as well, too. So, wakey, wakey, hands on snakey. Gregadeth out. Now is also the time to to at least mention that he did do work with John Lord. Uh, so our band was recorded in 76. And like we said before, when we talked about the concert for group and orchestra, I think Saaband is by far John Lord's best recording of an orchestra rock band. Ashton Lord was a bit later, obviously. Uh, that's well, yeah, that's good because we should mention those two. That's in '77, so the Purple is no more, and they record this uh, this album. Yeah, and I think we should listen to a bit of Malice in Wonderland. Malice in Wonderland, and I, I think that uh, this was sort of a super group of a sort. Yeah, you could, the name would suggest that. Yeah, you know? and uh, Ian Pace, and there was a vocalist. Uh, uh, called Tony Ashton. Ashton. He has a really nice voice. Very characteristic. Yeah. He had this open, he was quite open with his relationship to alcohol, which was in turn a complicated relationship. Mm. So he was this kind of bar piano telling the story of his life mm. kind of singer, more so than uh, the good looking cock rocker in the middle of the stage yeah. with uh, using the microphone stand as his yeah. penis enlargement. Yeah. Uh, so he was more of a, you know, a geezer. Uh, and this this album didn't work. Uh, it, it sort of flopped. And what about for you? Did it work for you? This album it gets a bit boring. I think there are. I think the first this first song called Ghost Story. Yeah, which is quite good. I was strutting down the road one very dark night. I was going to feel the feeling right. The room was howling and the rain was coming down, but I was strutting. I broke down on the other side of town Started feeling weird and began to slow down Heard a noise behind me and I turned around The 
And there's a sort of ballad y song towards the end of the album, which eludes me now. Uh, we could be thinking of the same. Uh, I'm gonna stop drinking again. Yeah. Second last penultimate track is good. So I'm playing a bit of ghost story here. I mean, you can hear it's an ace recording. It's web recorded. Yeah. But it's a, it's a cool band. I could see it flopping. But I could also see it being something someone would dig up and uh, put more value in later. Mm. And by 77, uh, uh, Ian Pace and uh, John Lord wasn't at all involved in Whitesnake, we should point out. That's true. Yeah, Ian Pace is king of these type grooves. And then again, a singer that is not the typical center stage standing is more of a, a damaged man. And I think maybe that's one of the problems with the album, actually, for, for a general rock audience. Yeah. It's a bit... Uh, it's not explosive. No. It's I a, guess. It's a, I wouldn't say bland, but may, maybe it's a bit more dull. Um, Ashton was also a pianist. Yeah. So they had two keyboardists. I think he was involved in at least playing a few songs on this Green Bullfrog album too. More than likely. And Butterfly yeah. Ball mm-hmm. is on there. Yeah. Being drunk. Actually drunk, I think. Or at least very very well emulate the drunkness. Because he's playing in a like when the bar is closing or the ball is closing. Yeah. He's doing a number and kind of burping in between lines and Quite a charismatic fella in a different way than yeah. David Coverdale, for sure. And he doesn't live anymore. I think he, he died no. a few years no. back. Probably never shook the habit, I don't think. Uh, I don't think so either. So, is this the end of part three of our summer special, our Birch summer special? This is the end. <laughs> Beautiful friend. The end. Yeah, maybe it is. You need to work tomorrow. Yeah. As well. I have to go to bed. Yeah, but dying to get into... <laughs> Next episode, we'll get into the... Uh, I mean, we're not going to leave the 70s because we got Rainbow to look into. Big chunk of it. And then that connects to Dio. Yeah. Which connects to Black Sabbath. Yeah. Some important records. There's going to be a lot of personal favorites, I think, next week. There will be. So we need to recharge, come in, ready for the big, important stuff. I think, for us at least, the important yeah. stuff is really beginning now. Yeah. I love my 70s music. I love my Deep Purple, but... In terms of what Martin has been up to, some superb quality songs coming up. For sure. So we have that to look forward to. Yeah. And you too, and dear you listener. Too. Yes. So um, up the birches. <laughs> up the birches. And that's <laughs> called from the north. Yes. <laughs> Marvin, I to say, in it.